Hello, and welcome to another veterinary team training podcast. My name is Amy Newfield, and I'm both the host and owner of Vet Team Training. Please check out my website at vetteamtraining.com, and all my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts are housed there. Today, I want to talk to you about the lack of women leadership in the veterinary profession. I think it goes without question. Most of us are fully aware that there is a strong woman presence in veterinary medicine. And in fact, this has occurred in the last 70 years. In the 1950s, actually, veterinary medicine was comprised of about 70 to 80% men. And then over the course of the 70s and 80s, it made a drastic switch and flipped itself on its head. And by the mid 90s, it was about 60% women. And then by the beginning 2000s, it was 80 to 90% women. And yet while the workforce is drastically women, I mean 80 to 90%, depending on the statistics that you look at, the women in leadership positions are hugely lacking. And I wanted to sort of dive into this. I've pulled up a couple articles. There's been even a more recent article in DVM 360, which I will talk about. But I think this is a really interesting topic and something we need to call out because it is unfortunately still a very male dominated leadership industry, even though the industry is being largely worked by women. When I look back at my own bosses, my very first boss was actually a man. The second boss that I had was a man. The third boss I had was a man. The fourth boss was actually a woman, but then the hospital actually got sold to a company that were owned by two men. And then my fourth boss was a man. My fifth boss was another man. And then lastly, my more recent boss was a woman, but now I have a man who is a boss as well. That seems a little bit skewed given that I'm working with 80 to 90% women. And when we look at even the large companies from Mars Veterinary Health and their business units of um, VCA, Banfield, and Blue Pearl, and when we look at even companies like Amerivet, Midwest Veterinary Partners, or Mission Veterinary Partners, they all have men leading those organizations. Now, I will say most recently, Wellhaven Pet Health actually just put in Jenny Jones, a woman from the COO position to CEO, but she's in the minority of women-driven leadership in the veterinary profession. It goes beyond just the companies as well. Most veterinary boards, state veterinary boards, even uh, national veterinary boards, nonprofit veterinary boards are largely dominated by men. It's stark what the difference is. If an outsider just looked at the leadership roles within the veterinary community, they would assume that it is a male-dominated industry, but it's not. So why is that? Why are the women not the ones leading the profession when they're the ones, by majority, working in the profession? Unfortunately, it seems that veterinary medicine is not immune when it comes to certain issues of just women in the workforce being in leadership roles. There was a report out of the American Association of University Women that said that even when we look at things like 
Congress, corporate boards, nations, colleges, and universities, males actually outnumber female by considerable margins. They did a report and it was titled Barriers and Bias, the Status of Women in Leadership. And they found that really only 19% of Congress is actually made up of women and only 28% of corporate executives are made up of women. That's shocking considering close to half the population is women. Another study actually showed that less than 14% of nonprofit organizations had boards that represented at least 50% of women. And so when we are thinking about the bias between women, it gets even more complicated when you add in race. And so unfortunately we know Asian, black, Hispanic, the problem's even more acute. Unfortunately, they're even considered more of a minority in leadership roles which it just shouldn't be because again, when we look at just the population in general, businesses in general should be employing a certain percentage because there's a certain percentage of individuals who live amongst us that are Asian, black, Hispanic. And certainly when we're just looking at gender, those who identify as female, those who identify as male, it's very close to 50% in the population. And so why do so many talented and qualified women get ready, they're willing to fill leadership roles, and then unfortunately they don't get them? Well, I think there's a lot of issues and it's not just, you know, the cliche women don't go after leadership roles because I do think they do. I have been turned down for leadership roles and my leadership roles have been given to men because unfortunately I think there's still some stereotypical biases that are being driven in the veterinary community. Let's look at the biggest leadership role that a United States citizen could ever hope to achieve, which is being president. In 2020, a study got published that was titled How Gender Influenced the Presidential Election. And obviously, it was a huge, hot debate presidential election like we've never seen before. On one side, we had Hillary Clinton. On the other side, we had Donald Trump. And we all know that Donald Trump ended up winning the presidency. But it was very interesting because many Americans mentioned they were not going to vote for Hillary simply because she sounded shrill and screechy all the time. It wasn't that she was making good or bad points. It was just that the speeches she gave were unfortunately sounding shrill like she was screaming. In this particular study, they actually gave the exact same speeches to participants, only they played back the speeches in a man's voice. Those participants stated that the man sounded confident. They would likely be able to vote for that individual based on those speeches and that they actually would prefer to vote for that man who gave those speeches then the actual sitting president at the time, Donald Trump. However, when they played those speeches to other people in Hillary Clinton's voice, they said, no, she sounded shrill, catty, bitchy was a word they used, um, and that they would not vote for her. It was the exact same language. One was read in a woman's voice and one was read in a man's voice. But yet they would have voted for the man simply because he sounded confident and like he was going to be able to be a good president. That's crazy. So there's still huge biases. And I admit that because I get that a lot. Whenever I speak, if I speak with a lot of passion, I've been told I can sound argumentative. I can sound bitchy. I can sound shrill. 
I, they don't like my voice. That's crazy. You could have, you know, an intelligent conversation with someone, but because women have a higher pitched voice, they may not be taken seriously and they may come across as being whiny when they're not whiny. It's just how they sound. Michelle Obama actually described in her best-selling book, Becoming, how she was asked not to sound angry when giving passionate speeches. That's crazy to me. She was actually provided a speech coast so that they could have her sound more friendly and warm. The campaign staff at the time felt that she was actually hindering Barack Obama's campaign because when she gave a passionate speech, she sounded angry because she was a black woman. And so they had to coach her in taking her tone down, being more ladylike. That's ridiculous. If we played those same speeches back, however, that Michelle Obama gave, and we put a man's voice on it, I guarantee you it would have a different tone. And so we do need to recognize that simply by the way that women speak, there's a lot of bias, preconceived notion, and unfortunately, People do not resonate with it. Both men and women struggle to resonate with women in leadership roles because of simply how they sound. That's crazy. Women continue to struggle with the work-life balance thing. Women are the ones who have babies. And unfortunately, I have known males in leadership roles that have honestly said to me, let's not hire that person on because she's thinking of having a baby absolute discrimination and while we say it's illegal we know that still happens to today and so it becomes very difficult for a woman who is of childbearing years to want to move into a leadership role because if you have a largely male leadership you know team they're going to look at that as a potential quote unquote complication or even a problem we have to recognize our own biases in order to move past them. And while the vast majority of men that I have talked to in leadership roles are kind, caring individuals, that thought does come up in the back of their minds. And it also comes up in other women's minds. So we do need to call that out as a potential reason for why women are not considered for leadership roles. One of the other barriers is that there's just fewer connections. Men still surpass women in having networks to learn about opportunities, the ability to find mentors, and even sponsors to help champion their own advancement and get them into leadership roles. When we look at potential investors into a veterinary hospital, they're, the most of the banking investors, the most outside investors are going to be men. And so when men are pitching an idea about a new business endeavor, or will you help invest in my hospital practice, who's coming to the table to invest in them? men. And so women do have a harder time, unfortunately, finding those connections and being able to break through those hurdles. When we also look at why women may not be in leadership roles, it could certainly be ourselves. We do need to recognize that we, unfortunately, second guess ourselves and growing up in just our societal differences between men and women and how they are raised dictates that Women are largely going to be talked to about family and child rearing and kids. 
And men are going to be told they're strong, they can do anything, they're dominant, you can be anything. And while that is changing, more and more parents and more and more school systems are ensuring that young women understand you can do everything and be everything. You can be a mother and you can still be a president of a major corporation. There is still, unfortunately, a large percentage of women who don't believe that they are as good as men. We also struggle with advocating for ourselves. We have to realize that testosterone drives male behavior and estrogen drives female behavior. It's genetics, it's biology, it is what it is. But estrogen prompts maternal behaviors. Females in general are more compassionate, they're more empathetic, and they're more in touch with their feelings. And that's not to say universal. So please don't say that Amy said man, men can't be feelers. I'm not saying that. But largely, estrogen does make us better with feelings. In fact, there was an interesting study some years ago in which men actually admitted they would rather be electrically shocked than actually advocate and talk about their own feelings. I mean, if that doesn't tell you the difference between men and women, I'd rather talk about my feelings than be electrically shocked. It's crazy, but it has actually a study that, that came out a few years ago. I had a very good laugh. We have to recognize the testosterone it does still drive aggression, territorial behavior in males. And so we do need to realize that us advocating as women for ourselves, we don't do such a good job sometimes. And it, it takes us out of our comfort zone to advocate for ourselves. This was a huge life lesson for me when I realized that, unfortunately, one of my male counterparts was making roughly about forty to $50,000 more than me a year. That's crazy. I, I don't even understand how I di didn't see that or rationalize my own worth was as good as that individual. And once I found that out, it really made me take a step back, look at my own manager, who was a man, and realize that I was not being valued even though I was putting in the same effort and doing the same amount of work. That speaks, that's an entire, someone's entire salary and then some that he was making. And yet our credentials were the same, our year's experience were the same. I, I couldn't understand it. I still don't understand it to this day. But I guarantee you, he advocated for himself and I just assumed they would see my hard work and give me the money that I was worth. And I have learned that lesson time and time again. And it's something that I still struggle with. So women, unfortunately, aren't going to advocate for themselves. But it's on us to realize, hey, I'm worth just as much. I need to advocate for X, Y, and Z. And here's where I place my value and don't accept anything less. When it comes to leadership roles, unfortunately, we have to realize that when there's a promotion, a raise, a management job, or even when there's not one, men, simply driven biology-wise by testosterone, is going to likely be more they're going to advocate for themselves a little bit more. They're going to go after it. They're going to go up to their boss at their yearly review and say, you know what? I one day want to be a manager or a supervisor. Whereas a woman may not advocate as much because again, we have a lot of care and compassion and feelings and empathy. And those things are wonderful in veterinary medicine. 
But we have to do a little bit of self-reflection and realize, hey, I'm a warrior too. I want that damn salary. I want that damn raise. And I want the damn promotion just as much as a man. And I need to advocate for myself because nobody's going to give it to you on a silver platter. Let me just tell you, that is not going to happen. I also want to call this out. Women need to support women. For gender equality to prevail, women actually need to stop sabotaging each other women. Again, look at Hillary Clinton. And I'm not saying she would have been the best president. I'm not even saying she should have been voted in as president. I'm not getting into that debate. The fact remains that the same speeches were delivered by men to an audience. And that audience believed that person could be voted in as president, they would vote for them, and they had no problems with those speeches. And when Hillary Clinton gave those same speeches, well, we didn't like her. And so we have to recognize that women turn on other women. And when that happens, we all lose. Women need to support. They need to stick up. When you hear people saying, oh, she sounds shrill. She sounds aggressive. No, she sounds dominant. She sounds like she knows what she's talking about. She sounds confident. She sounds like someone I think should be in a leadership role. Not, oh yeah, she sounds catty and shrill. Get over that. That's like the small things. We don't even realize we're doing that. Women in power often discourage other women from gaining power. It's like they're afraid that there's only so much power to go around. There's only so many leadership roles. If this attitude was born on self-preservation in a male-dominated workforce in the past, but it still lingers into today's workforce. Data shows that once a woman achieves success, her capacity to see gender discrimination is actually reduced. Yikes, that's crazy. We have to first have a self-reflection of what are we doing to other women. There's also the mommy wars and the stay-at-home mom against the working moms. I don't have kids. I've never had a desire to have kids. That's like a whole nother podcast. I've been judged. I've been ridiculed. I've been told I'm less than. I've been told that I'm just a burden on society because I, I, I'm not producing children. I have definitely in my younger years, been that person to say, oh, it's not fair. They get to go home early because they have kids and I don't. But as an adult in my now well 40s, I recognize I was woman shaming. Shame on me. I look back at my younger version of myself and think that was not nice. The, the constant debate between women who have kids and women who do have kids is one better than the other. And we judge each other. We have to realize there are opportunities for everyone and women who have babies probably have to work even harder to get into those leadership roles. And us women who don't have children, we need to be supportive and help coach them and mentor them into those. When women help one another, we actually help ourselves in return. We are caring. We are kind. So just give to each other. Share your knowledge if you are successful and how you got into being that successful role. What did it take to get there? What are some tips that you can impart to other women to help drive them into leadership roles? This coalition of helping women get into leadership roles has to include men as well. So if you're a man listening to this, I need you to take an active role to encourage talented women in the veterinary community to advocate for their career advancement, advocate for their salaries. Men need to commit to changing the leadership ratios within our organization.
organizations. In the very least, it should be 50-50. We should have a CEO as a male and a COO as a female. And the positions that are underneath those, they also need to be equal in terms of gender. So 50% male and 50% female. Uh, you have to look at Zoetis, where 75% of the top level executive outside of board members are actually women. And that's amazing because they can probably relate to and actually speak to and sell to their demographic, which is largely women in the veterinary community. So it is time to break the rules at this point. Women are vastly underrepresented in the leadership roles in the veterinary field, both in practice ownership and executive level positions within the industry. So how do we solve this problem? Well, it starts with just a conversation, awareness and conversation. I recently attended an amazing workforce summit, but every single speaker was a man except one. And that person was actually not even of the veterinary profession. All the men who were actually part of the veterinary profession, they were the speakers and the only person that was not a man they brought in from the outside. And when I looked around the room, I actually counted. It was 70% men in this workforce summit. Well, the workforce is largely women. It should have been at least 50-50, but it wasn't. So even issues like that, where we're trying to get together and help solve and create solutions to problems of workplace shortages, staffing turnovers, we have to make sure we get our ratios right. Maybe it doesn't need to be 80 to 90% women, because I think then that would be skewed, but it's gotta be at least 50-50 and it's not right now. Unfortunately, again, we're still living in this archaic world where we think that this veterinary profession of ours is in the 1950s and it's 80% men, and it's not. So let's start the conversation. Let's bring awareness. Let's look at our own practices. Even in your own practice, you can do due diligence. Who do you have in leadership roles? Is it 50-50? What does that look like? How can we help change those ratios? And when we start looking at our own biases and we start listening to women who are in powerful positions and we analyze them as being bitchy, catty, shrill, any of those things, whiny, whatever you're using in your head to describe how that woman is speaking, stop it. Just stop it. Listen to the words that are coming out of her mouth. She cannot help that she has a higher pitched voice. Listen, I come off as whiny sometimes too. But the reality is, is that we have to look at our own biases and then we have to stop and take a look at the actual words that are coming out and that character of that individual, regardless of gender. We also have to make sure we're paying our women fairly because we do recognize that unfortunately in veterinary medicine, we are still not paying equally between men and women. I, I, it's something I fell victim to and it's something that I'm now aware of and I won't tolerate in my life. So I expect to be paid equally and unfortunately in veterinary medicine largely that That's not the actual case. We also not only have to move past just recognition of it, but start that conversation. And if you are a woman, you need to advocate for yourself. Stop with the imposter syndrome of I'm less than, I'm not good enough, and start with the I'm powerful, I deserve a leadership role, I am just as good as, if not better than my male colleagues. Advocate for yourself 
And if you also are a woman, be kind to other women. Listen, I don't fall into that stereotype of not supporting each other. And if you are a mom or you're not a mom, realize it's okay to be a mom and it's okay not to be a mom. And we need to support each other in those leadership roles because unfortunately, we are victims sometimes of our own demise when we are not supporting each other. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I know this is a hot button topic and I appreciate your time. Please check out all my other vlogs, blogs, and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com. Keep on being a unicorn.